0: I don't know if you uh, had a chance to be here last week, but we started a short series uh, we've entitled This Is Us last week, and it comes out of a real concern of how you all are doing, to be honest with you. Um, as we sat as a pastoral team aware of the hurt and the pain and some of the trouble that our church is going through, we thought we would take a moment in our schedule and, and talk about trouble. And it's like anything, we talk about particular things in just a few weeks, then that is really just a representation of an iceberg that's under the water. It's not like, it's not like all that we're talking about is all that you're dealing with, but it certainly presents us with this issue, this big uh, burden that we carry. <clears throat> and so I, I kind of believe that our, our nature is not our best friend when it comes to some of this stuff, is we have a tendency to want to manage and cope and bury it and hide it and not talk about it. Um, but we know it's not the best, and so because we love you and we care about you, we want to we want to try to talk about these things. And and as we said last week, and we'll say over and over again, the only you that God can change is the real you. So let's let's talk about the real you and the real issues that we're having struggles with. Um, so in, in light of that, last week we began to talk about um, the struggles, and specifically talked about disappointment. Today, I want to add another discussion um, to uh, what we're hearing and it's a different kind of trouble to be honest with you it's it's a it's the trouble of how we feel about our spiritual lives or an experience in our spiritual lives from time to time and it's it's simply this it's when the heavens seem closed when it seems like god is silent when when you pray and it goes no further than the ceiling in your mind in your experience okay i know uh i've shared a few stories about my dad recently And uh, I hope it's not too self-indulgent to share another one, just because I've been um, talking to him since I went back home, and and, uh, so I think this applies to our discussion today. Um, And I'm going to start by telling the story of telling I I, uh, envy my dad, always have envied my dad. And not in everything, I I don't envy his life, I wouldn't want to live his life, he's had a horrible, difficult life, his mom died when he was a boy, and... and, uh, he was the youngest of six, and everybody was 18 years older than him, and he was left alone, basically, with a very harsh man for a father. So things beyond his own life are difficult, but I do envy one thing. I envy his prayer life. And uh, I'll tell you specifically why, because it was real and immediate for him. So... so. uh God had a tendency to show up in tangible ways when my dad prayed, and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I, I would love that for me. When I was growing up, you know, back when families used to sit around tables, this thing called dinner time, and you'd sit around a table and everybody talked, dad would, on, on a regular basis, he would hold court and would tell us the latest installment of what God did and they'd be these big stories, and you'd just be a kid, listen to it, and you would assume that's just the way it's got to be, right? That's the way it happens for everybody. As an example, there's one story that just sticks in my mind. It's 50 or 60 years old. It might even predate my birth, but my dad was leaving dairy farming to go be a, uh, a pastor, and he had to go to college in South Carolina, and he was down there poor. When I say poor, I mean poor. A handful of little kids, really young. My dad got married at 18. They had six kids in seven years it was pretty pretty game on right away for them and uh and he had nothing and his dad was coming to visit from wisconsin and uh my dad my dad's dad was very harsh man very judgmental man and my i think my father was somewhat insecure and uh maybe this would be a universal uh guy feeling shame my family's in poverty he's coming to see me, he probably thought I would turn out to nothing anyway, so he had no food for my dad, uh, for a meal, for my grandpa to come, and so uh, he said to my mom, this is how tangible it was, he said, I'm going into the bedroom, and I'm not coming out until God answers my prayer. I've never done that, but he, he did, and I swear, this is true, he came out, well, he didn't come out, two hours later, there was a knock at the door, a total stranger, they don't know, never met. And he had two bags of groceries, and he said, God just told me to give you this. I need me some of that." that. <laughs> Is it a technique? What, what are we talking about here? I called him on Wednesday, and I said, Dad, just, just, am I right about this story? Is this what went down? He said, yeah. I said, did stuff like that happen a lot? And he goes, all the time. And then he rattled off four or five more stories that I had forgotten, just like that. Crazy stuff that's undeniable God listening to him. So you see now why I say envy him. After all, who wouldn't want that kind of experience? I, however, have not had that experience in my prayer life. I ask, and God does answer. I'm not saying God has never answered a prayer, but that kind of immediacy, that kind of crisis answers, it hasn't been my experience. Uh, 25 years ago, just to give you a snapshot into my life, I started praying that God would do a revival. Allow me to see a revival Uh, in my world in my life and so by revival just so we know we're talking about we're not talking about going to a tent meeting I'm I'm talking about an extraordinary move of the Holy Spirit undeniable God changing a community a city a place a state a a nation like God blow us away be undeniable in our world and uh, I've prayed that for 25 years you know what I've heard nothing maybe I should have asked my dad to pray for it and we'd have had it already Um, nothing So here's the question. Do you ever feel like heaven's closed to you? That God can't hear you, that he's not listening to you? Well, my suspicion is that experience is fairly common. Almost every believer I know has banged on heaven's door with some request to get nothing back in their minds, how they feel about it. Well, I want you to know, to begin with, that you are not alone <clears throat> and you're not the first. That experience is fairly typical, fairly common. And let me just show you, we're going to walk through a couple of, of Old Testament characters that tell a story, uh, Neil Pitcher will love that we're in the Old Testament, um, but, but you don't have to turn there. Here's what these studies are for me. They're less exegetical uh, sermon kinds of things. They're more devotional. So we'll have the scriptures up on the screen. If you want to follow where I'm pointing, that's fine. But I'd rather have your hearts lean into this. Um, Preaching is caught in the mind and the heart. So um, here we go. Uh, The first character I want to draw your attention to is a familiar one. His name is Job. Everyone's read that story. And uh, it's familiar, I think. But if not, it's worth at least kind of getting us up to speed on his story. Um, Where we meet Job in chapter 1 of that book is in this description. Satan somehow is in the presence of God, and uh, God asks him, where have you come from? And then God out of the blue says, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. That's a pretty good testimony by the creator of the universe for you. And Satan says, well, he doesn't, he doesn't follow you for nothing. He's got everything. He's got a blessed life. I mean, he, he has everything any man would want. You take his stuff, I bet. If you take his stuff, he'll curse you. And so God allows uh, Satan to take his stuff. His belongings are uh, livestock, cattle, sheep, donkeys, camels, all, all those types of things. And his family. So he has a wife and every, all his children are dead. He's lost all his possessions. And the text tells us that he continued to worship the Lord and he said, God gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Fast forward, chapter two, Satan somehow in the presence of the Lord and the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Job is holding steady, man. He is who he is. And Satan says, skin for skin, God, skin for skin. You touch his flesh, anybody who's burdened physically will tap out. So I'll bet if he was suffering. <clears throat> so God says, okay, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. So God allows Satan to do that. And Satan afflicts him, it says, with loathsome sores. And uh, the, the story is, is brutal where he finds himself at the end of his life. Now, that is Job's quick story. Now, would it surprise you that Job at some place in his life and experience started to look at heaven and go, What gives? Like, What's up? You used to be for me. Now, are you against me? My assumption is that Job, that Job continued to pray throughout this whole process. And my assumption is all of the experiences left him with the conclusion that God is not listening. In fact, that's what he says in chapter 13 of Job, verse 24. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? Feeling lost and abandoned, only thing that Job could say is, where are you? Ever feel like that? Ever pray and then conclude that? Well, Job, here's an example. I'll give you another example. It is the prophet Habakkuk. Let me give you a backstory in Habakkuk. Habakkuk was... uh, living during the uh, final decades of Israel's southern kingdom, which is a time of great sin for Israel and the threat of invasion by Babylon. So things were going bad for, for that uh, time for them. And, and he's a prophet, but unlike other prophets who have one sole responsibility, to speak for God to people. So a prophet's message is fairly predictable, repent, People turn to God, you're sinning against God, come back to him. That's what prophets do, although Habakkuk had a different job. He didn't speak to the people for God, he spoke to God about how he was feeling. He's lamenting and complaining before God about all the garbage he sees in the world and the, the problems that he sees, and, and he's questioning whether, God, are you good? Are you still good? <laughs> Can you still move? Can you still act? This is not, this is not what you would want, right? Right? So he looks around at his culture and his world and he sees injustice and idol worship and crime and crooked leaders invading armies. Things never change. And he asks God the question, you, are you gonna act or are you gonna sit this one out? And he says this. Tell me if this doesn't sound familiar. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear. Or we'll cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround and the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. (laughs) Have you ever prayed for God to act in your life to the broken things? You ever said, God, this thing's not right, this is wrong. And are you frustrated by what you hear back or don't hear back? Are you frustrated by the pace of God, like he's just too slow for you? Could you say with Habakkuk, how long, how long God, am I supposed to cry for help? Let me give you another example. Now, we kind of briefly mentioned it last week. The example is King David. Again, the backstory: story. Uh, David uh, was selected, anointed by God to be king. So Israel had a king that they picked. The people's choice, the handsome guy, the big guy. Everyone thought he should be a king, looked like a king. And he failed God. He dishonored God. And God says, I'm going to replace him. And so God picks David. Most writers, theologians would say David was between 10 and 15 years old when he was anointed as king over Israel. Okay, that's in 1 Samuel 16. Thus begins a 15-year-plus journey to actually being realized as the king over Israel. And in that gap between when he was anointed as king, called king, and when he actually was recognized by the people as king, we have all the great stories. David and Goliath, the victories, the defeat of the Philistines, all the stuff that David did. And we also have in the middle of that the constant, relentless pursuit of the paranoid, insecure king of the people, Saul, to try to destroy him. Okay? That's what we have in in the middle. And in the middle is where David writes this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. If I'm honest, that prayer sounds reasonable to me. You've anointed me as king. I've got now decade plus, maybe pushed into two decades of being relentlessly pursued by the one you told me I'm supposed to take over for. The one you said dishonored you. And I've obeyed and I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've actually even restrained myself from taking the matters into my own hand because I could. I could have wasted Saul and got him out of the way. But I believed you. I believed you. I stayed the course. <laughs> Where are you? Where, what are you doing? Did you forget me? Are you hiding? So why, do our, why does it feel like our requests stop at the ceiling? Why does it feel like they, it takes so desperately long to get an answer from God? There's a problem with, I think, our perspective and our patience. I'll confess, me personally, I get frustrated when a web page takes too long to load. I lose my mind. <laughs> I go looking for problems, Um, and and honestly, apparently, I get frustrated with too many things. This week, I had an example of that. My son, Eli, and I were going across town. By the way, I never go out of town. I hate going out of town. I drive a seven-mile circle on purpose, okay? But this guitar was in the west side of Phoenix, all right? So I had to get out a phone and a map app, and I typed in the address to this guy's house, and I looked at the map just so I would be familiar with the general direction to go, all right, it's the big streets to go on. And then I hit the go part, you know, on the map where the lady starts talking to you? Okay. <laughs> Halfway there, she, she tells me to go through Sky Harbor. Why is it that women are always given directions, by the way? <laughs> when it said to go through Sky Harbor, I said, there's no way. That's, that's totally wrong. I, I was so convinced it was wrong, I rebooted the app. And it's typed in the address again to make certain that this thing wasn't now taking me to, I don't know, a taco shop or something. Um, well, I, I decided to go against my instincts and follow the directions. When I got to a place of no return, I saw a sign that says construction on the tent. I thought, ah, what a perfect illustration for my spiritual prayer life. <laughs> um, it's when what God says... Doesn't match my instincts. I get impatient. God says, trust me. Mm Mm-mm, God. Here's what my instincts tell me. Grab it by the neck and wrestle it to the ground and fix it yourself. And he says, that's not your option. I I realize it's my problem, but um, isn't that like all of us? God, I I have a need. I have a real need. And and it needs to be fixed now. Because if it doesn't get fixed now, Huge problems are about to happen. And all you hear from heaven is patience. God, this issue, this issue that I've got dealing with right now, I need it fixed today. And he starts teaching a lesson on contentment. That isn't at all my instincts. I don't want that lesson now. I want the answer by the way, I don't know if you noticed. You probably did, but I'll point it out either way. Did you notice the examples that I used? Did you notice that they all had something in common? Job, Habakkuk, and David. Did you see? Job said, or God said of Job, have you considered the man? Nobody's like the man. He's upright, godly. He holds, he holds true Job. David is described as a man after God's own heart. Habakkuk was a prophet. All of them called into what God's commanded them to do. All righteous and godly men. And the reason why I point that out is because sometimes we have a tendency to think um, that the only reason we don't hear from heaven is it has gotta be me. If I was different, if I was more like them, here's my, pro- here's my problem. I'm not like him or her. I don't know this, I don't know that. And when we make the assumptions that somehow every time God doesn't get really noisy in heaven, that it's got to be me, it's my, it's my problem. That is not always true. And the reason why I remind you of that is because we need to start with this truth. And it's always true that God has plans and ways we simply don't or won't ever understand. That's just true. Isaiah the prophet said it this way, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I don't know what God might be doing, but I know this, he's always doing good, and the fact that you might not know or understand what he's doing, well, that seems to be the course, right? That's what we are in. I don't always understand. Now, let me just stop there and put a giant comma in here, and then give you this word called but. (laughs) It's not necessarily always because of you, but it's worth at least the assessment of our hearts to decide whether maybe this experience of silence has some, that I play some role in it, that there's some part of me in that experience. So why is God silent? I've, I've got a couple thoughts for you to consider this morning. I would suggest to you, first of all, to listen to David as he tells us of one potential uh, hurdle. In Psalm 66, he says, if I've cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Somehow cherish sin, and I would tell you that the most important part of that verse is the word cherished. Cherished describes the kind of sin. We all sin. But cherished sin is different. Cherished is this word where we wrap our arms around it and we refuse to repent of the sin. We have now called this sin something good I can't live without and we've changed all the terms. God calls it clearly wrong. He says, come to me and I'll forgive you. Repent of your sin. And you go, no, 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 no. This is my baby. I cherish my baby. And somehow the psalmist knows what God feels about that. He says, if you do that with sin, then you can expect silence from heaven. If you cherish your sin, be prepared for quiet. Let me just share one other illustration of this truth, uh, besides even Isaiah 59, but in Proverbs chapter 1, wisdom literature, okay? Solomon writes these things. The preacher in Proverbs chapter 1 is the preacher called wisdom. And he's crying out to hearts who have a tendency to wander from truth. And in that chapter, Wisdom says, I called to you, but you refused to listen. But when calamity and trouble comes, you go nuts. And this is what he says. And they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. There is a theme here in Scripture. You get what you want. And if what you want is what you want, have to have that sin apart from God, if what you want is to be your own kind of Lord of your life, well, there you go. No harm, no foul. But do not expect this immediacy with heaven. That's the first thing. Second thing I want to encourage you to consider today of why God might be silent is because we're suffering from a spiritual condition I call prayer dyslexia. Okay, let me, let me explain what I mean. When Jesus was teaching us, his disciples and us, how to pray, one of the kind of the key phrases, if not the key phrase of how to pray in that whole section, and it's, this is kind of how I interpret this, it's like Jesus saying, pray this and you'll never be disappointed. And here was the phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done. If that's all you ever heard about how to pray, you have enough. Because you'll never be disappointed saying, your will be done. Your will be done. And at that point, it's kind of going to happen. His will's going to happen. Jesus even demonstrated this in the garden when he was under agony, knowing he was about to get pulverized and crushed for the sins of men. And he was praying and praying, and he said this, not my will, but yours be done. Here's why I think the heavens seem silent to some of us, because we pray that prayer backwards. Not your will, God, but my will be done. Just be honest with your own heart. When you're praying those crisis prayers and you're sending up those flares, how many times are you really even interested in God's will? Have you not already determined what it is that you need? Have you already decided the way to peace and joy? Are you praying the wrong prayer? Do you even know? Do you even care that there might be another will outside of your own? It's at least reasonable enough to ask, do I even want God's will? Do I rather have my own? So you understand prayer dyslexia? Here's another possible consideration. Why is he silent? Because there's so much static noise in our lives to even hear him. And I just want to encourage you with, with a truth. Elijah knew this. It says in 1 Kings that sometimes God speaks in whispers. Whispers. And all I know from my own version of living, if God whispers... I got no shot. Because I've structured my life for chaos and noise. That's just, that's kind of my nature. But here's what, here's what we learn from even Elijah's experience with the everlasting God. Sometimes he speaks in small, quiet tones. And some of us shaped our lives with no room for quiet, no room for quiet tones. It might be the chaotic way of the way we run our lives, that could be the static or it could be the noise of competing voices either way. um, There's a question we have to ask. Do we live a life opposed to the prayer life we desire? So if I'm saying, if Tim Mon is saying, I want to see tangible, radical, undeniable, God-answered prayers, and he says, well, you don't even pray that way. You don't even pray that way. Your life is opposed to your request. You have no room. I'm talking, but I'm whispering. (laughs) Just a challenge. I'll give you one more thought. Why does God seem silent? Because many times God's silence has been cultivated by neglect. Maybe there's another way to say this. Maybe we're not a praying people. We've just neglected the whole thing. I think this is almost always true, if not guaranteed, okay? When God seems silent, is it not, is not the problem that the only time we even care about the silence of God is when we're desperate? Do you ever, ever consider God's silence when everything is hunky-dory? Do you even worry about the fact that God isn't so loud and clear to you when you've got everything you want going every way you want it to be? The only time we even give a rip is when we're going, God, I need, I need, I'm desperate. I've wrecked something, I've ruined something, I've hurt something. God, will you fix it? Will you prop it up? And now, now suddenly we care about God speaking to us. Well, you've just neglected the whole relationship thing. We have. We coast when it's good, and we go manic when it's bad, and we wonder where God is in the whole thing. Do we even consider him when things are at peace? Everybody I know bangs on heaven's door a lot harder when we're suffering, when we're in pain and in trouble. And I I do not judge that. That is not the problem that I see. It's just that when we're not in trouble and distress, he's out of sight, out of mind. We don't even consider him. So in effect, we've turned God into this cosmic bellhop, a lucky rabbit's foot, who's needed when he's needed, but he's never really wanted. And I think, in, in, in essence, the, the challenge for us is that we need to want him. And he says, if you want him, you can have him when you want him with all your heart. That's a paraphrase. But if all you do is need him, and you wonder why he's silent, but you never really wanted him, something to consider. Okay. When God seems silent, when it feels like it's been forever, when you've shot off a prayer to heaven and you've got no answer, when Satan, the accuser, the liar, comes after you and he says, hey, listen, by the way, God, you're God. He can't be trusted. Don't, don't trust him. And by the way, he's not interested in you. That's why you don't trust him. And, and maybe you should start questioning even the idea, the concept of God, right? If God was that real, wouldn't he be real to you? And if there is a God, well that kind of God, he's mean. So why would you follow him? You know, everyone's gotten attacked with certain thoughts like that. Well, when that happens, we need to stop for a second and remind ourselves of what's always true. Like I said last week, before we talked about disappointments, what we always look for in these realities, these difficulties in our life is I need faith and perspective. Because what happens when I get so close to the problem, I can't see the picture. I only see the color, and the color is suffering. The picture is grace and glory, but I don't know. I can't tell. I'm up against it. You understand? So let me give you just three words, three phrases that will help us get some perspective today. The words are hope, faith, and rest. Here's the first thought. Let me encourage you to hope in God's eternal promises. Question. Okay, look up. Is God ever really silent? Answer. No, and here's why. He has been screaming at us with his everlasting eternal word forever, of which Hebrews says that it is active and living. It is sharper than two-edged sword. It's not dead. The word that you know, if all you ever had was this word and no other word from God, you have a living, active word. It's all that we need. It's more than enough. So, God is never totally silent. He is always preaching the good news, even to the wayward believer, which might imply many of us who've messed up our lives with idols, insecurities, and sin. And so, we got these problems and dead bodies all around us. God is still speaking, saying to every child of His, Come on home, get forgiveness. He's screaming that to you. Come on home, I forgive people. If you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just. I bring no condemnation because all that condemnation that you deserve, I poured it out on Jesus. There is no judgment. Come on home. So, hope in the living and active voice of God that is never ending and always saving. Let me give you another thing to consider. Have faith in God's control. Here's another question. These are not like sneaky questions. What about God isn't perfect? And church says what? (laughs) Not certain? (laughs) Nothing. Okay. This might feel like a gotcha. That includes that includes his decisions and his timing. Yes? Everything about God is perfect. David said it his his is perfect in all his ways. So let me just encourage you, pray. Pray about everything. Pray about anything, pray always, but have faith in one thing. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. There is only one who knows all things. There is only one who's in control of all things and only one who has amazing grace intentions and that is our God. He's extended himself to us. So, faith in God's control. One last thought. Let me encourage you to rest in God's grace. I suppose if we were to sit down and and maybe consider different answers to the question, how can you find rest, people could write this down. I'm certain people live this way. One answer could be this. Be in control of everything. Get whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. And As far as it is dependent upon other people, then control them, right? L- live in such a way that you manipulate and manage all the people so that you get what you want when you want how you want, right? That's how we do it. And many people choose to live this broken version of life. They see everyone else as a perpetrator of their own problems and their own evils, and so they try to control others, like manically control others, so that they could find some version of rest. Well, I'm just telling you how that ends. You don't get rest. You've, you've just written the equation for chaos. And you know it when you meet people who are controlling and manipulative and insecure and they live that way, they're trying to get one thing. Rest. They don't know how to find it. They're just shooting in the dark. It's classically human. Or, or you could find rest for your soul in God's lavish grace. And I would suggest to you that's the only place to find rest. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians was talking about a very pragmatic, very particular issue in his life. He called it his thorn in the flesh. Many writers have speculated what his thorn was, physical to relational, or whatever. I even thought it might be some sin struggle. However, whatever he might be referring to, Paul says he prayed and prayed and prayed. God, God, would you remove this thorn in the flesh? He was absolutely convinced the thorn was in the way of ministry and joy. And what he heard back from God was, was not what he was looking for. My grace is enough for you. My grace is superabounding for you. And by the way, my power is made perfect in your weakness, so hang on to it. I don't want that. Let's pick something else. But Paul learned that in a pragmatic way. Let, let me finish with these thoughts. Is it common to feel like heaven's closed? Mm-hmm. Is it common to, to not get the responses immediately like you hope, that God seems to be not speaking today? Well, just remind yourself of this. Don't ever confuse silence with inactivity. God is not on vacation. He is not disinterested. He's doing great things. We talk about grace all the time here. And, and most people would know where we talk about grace in salvific ways. How does a, how does a sinner who's ruined everything, who deserves all the condemnation of God, how does he have any hope in the world? What what possible thing could change that person's destination? Grace. We cry about grace, we sing about grace, we preach about grace, we, we elbow each other about grace. Grace is the greatest word I've ever heard in my life, God's grace, saving grace. But there is another aspect of grace that we don't lean into enough, and I would suggest to you it's this. God's grace doesn't just get you from hell to heaven it gives you life. You live in grace. There isn't a single thing you have that isn't a gracious act from God. Your breath right now is grace. Your mind's engaging with this word is grace. You leaving and going to lunch is grace, all grace. We live by grace and as you wait, as you wait maybe painfully for heavens to open and answer. Can I suggest to you there's a way to wait. Again, these are the prophets. These are the writers of scripture that say, God acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. And to those who wait will not be put to shame. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. Those are the promises of God. Wait. And in the waiting, in the waiting is the good work. The good work of transformation. How long? I have no idea, I'm not smart enough for that. But what he will produce, I do know. Good, amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this truth. I thank you that it's eternal and it hits everybody. God, we confess sometimes that there's a desire for communication from you that we don't always experience. So God, let us sift our own minds and hearts to know what might be the issue. Let us trust that you're good and that you love us, that you're actively moving to transform us, and in the meantime, while you're teaching us lessons and growing our maturity, help us see your control and love it that way, I pray. God, help us to see it and to see joy from it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.